0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Marlins HQ podcast, the ninth edition on a Thursday, June 22nd. I am Ryan Schlesinger, joined by a special guest today. We have Isaac Edelman coming on the show. Isaac, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me on. Excited to talk Marlins baseball, my man.
0: Yeah, and the Marlins are coming on a four-game series to end off their two-series homestand before they'll go on a road trip and they will head to Fenway Park as one of the destinations on this road trip. Uh, They will also uh, play on that road trip. They will play in Atlanta. It's going to be a tough road trip, and that's why I believe it's going to be key for the Miami Marlins to at least take three out of four against the struggling Pirates. They're 34-39. and They're coming into the series on a nine-game losing streak. Isaac, what about you? What are you feeling? Uh, What are the expectations and kind of what you need to do for this series if you're the Marlins coming off a series loss to the Blue Jays after blowing out them in the first game then losing the final two? Well, the Marlins
1: have been really good all season long, and you see they win game one against the Blue Jays. I guess you could assume they're going to win the series, but sadly they drop the final two. They need to get back on track. The Marlins have beaten these not-so-good teams, and I think the Pirates are in that category Actually, the Pirates here sit at 34 and 39. And if you say they're on a nine-game losing streak, that meant before that streak they were above 500. But the Marlins just need to stay consistent. Their pitching last year obviously carried the team, and now it's the opposite. It's the offense carrying the pitching. So the Marlins just need to keep that narrative. I think until the All-Star break hits, you can't just expect the pitching to suddenly carry the hitting. I think the Marlins – need to just stay consistent heading into the break. And I think what better than to face the Pirates at home? It's a chance for the Marlins to sweep a team and just stay a lot of games above 500.
0: It's a four-game or so. It's going to be tough to sweep. But with the Pirates being freezing cold, I mean, of course, the losing streak has to snap eventually for them. But uh, I like the odds for the Marlins. Let's take a look at the pitching matchups. Braxton Garrett pitches tonight against Mitch Keller. And then on Friday night, tomorrow, from the day that we're recording this, it'll be Jesus Lazardo. And Saturday, we will see Brian Hoeing after a great start against the Blue Jays, his first start in quite some time. And then on Sunday, the final game of the seven-game homestand and the four-game series, we will see Yuri Perez, who is looking to lower his ERA even more. He's at a 1.54 ERA, which is just sensational. From Yuri Isaac, what are your current thoughts on Yuri and uh, kind of how he compares to Sandy with Sandy having such a sh- bad season compared to expectations and Yuri exceeding expectations, even though he's only 20 years old? Uh, my question for you actually would be if the Marlins uh, with, the, with the way that the Marlins are playing right now, if the season was at the end. They say that there was like a pandemic going on. It was a shortened season and the same results were happening for the Marlins, just like what happened in 2020 when they actually did make the playoffs. uh who would start the first playoff game right now? Would it be Yuri or Sandy because he just has experience in the playoffs in 2020 and he's been with the team so long? Or would it be someone else? Who would you go with to start uh, the first wild card game for the Marlins?
1: Uh, that's a really, really, really good question. I think you have to go at Yuri Perez. I know Sandy Alcantara is the reigning Cy Young winner, but he has struggled so much this season. The Marlins obviously still believe in Sandy, and the fact that he's pitching so far into games shows that the Marlins believe in him because he usually just has one or two innings where he just gives up a ton of runs, and the rest of the game, he's lights out. But you have to go at Yuri Perez. Sixto Sanchez was a big part of the Marlins' run in 2020, and the Marlins have proven that they don't care if you're young. You're going to produce, And Yuri Perez, sub two ERA, he's incredible. He really, really, really is the definition of a number one prospect in an organization. He's showing why he was the number one prospect. He's showing why he's potentially the best rookie in baseball. I wish he would have started game one of the season because obviously he is not eligible to be an ERA leader and it might be too late to win rookie of the year. But I really think you have to go with Yuri Perez because if it was another team, maybe not. But the Marlins love young talent, so I don't think they would be afraid to send him out there on the mound.
0: Yeah, it would be uh, very interesting to see if Yuri played the full season, not only if he would be one of the ERA leaders, but also how where he would be at the uh, Rookie of the Year yep. race, because it's unlikely that he wins it. Again, I was saying there is still a small chance if he can stay healthy the full season, and some guys that he's competing with, like Jordan Walker, and Corbin Carroll get injured or they slump heavily in the second half, there is a slim chance that Yuri could possibly contend for Rookie of the Year. That would also be if he stayed on this pace. The odds are very low, but there is a chance. But if Yuri did pitch on opening uh, week, then he would no doubt be probably the leader right now for Rookie of the Year. It would be very close between him and Corbin Carroll, who Carroll's contending for MVP, and Yuri would probably be contending for a Cy Young as well if he uh, has been playing since opening week anyways next we're gonna talk about Louisa rise who I know a lot of, a lot of Marlin's fans love talking about the he's turning into a Marlin's legend and he's only in his first season with Miami and as uh, zips this is a tweet from fish on first they project Luisa rise to finish the season with a 364 batting average and they're saying he only has a 2.9 percent chance of hitting 400 what do you feel about uh? Luis Serez's odds at finishing near the four hundred mark or even at the four hundred mark Because a lot of Marlins fans, it sounds a little biased, and it probably is, because they get to watch Yuri Perez on a daily basis. And he's I mean, not Yuri Perez, Luis Serez on a daily basis, and he's he's just so talented. He hits the he gets a hit in pretty much every game, goes opposite fields. But a lot of people think he's gonna hit four hundred. What do you think?
1: In terms of Hitting for 400, you can never listen to the odds because the odds of Luis Arias hitting over, let's say, 320 heading into the season would be insanely low as well. And we know Luis Arias is always a very good contact hitter. But over 320, that's hard. Well, hitting 400 is also very hard. And that's what Luis Arias is literally hitting every single day. It's really, really, really tough to tell, but let me say this. Luis Arias is the type of guy that wakes up in the morning, gets right in the batting cage. He's the type of guy that has a strong work ethic and he stays healthy. Nothing tells me that Luis Arias can't hit 400. We've already been impressed by Luis Arias. The only thing that will impress us even more is if he finishes the season with 20 home runs, right? We know what Arias can do at the plate. Making contact with the ball, not striking out, and finishing three for four on the day, four for four, even five for five, right? So I think what it comes down to, Ryan, is will he stay consistent? And we are very far into the season, and he has stayed consistent. I think he will hit over 350. I'm hoping he hits 390, but it's so hard to tell as of now. Again, I think we should take it series by series. Let's see how he does against the Pirates. All I'll say is I won't be surprised if he gets over the 400 hump again in this series. He's really incredible.
0: Yeah, Arise is truly just amazing, and it's crazy what he's doing. I mean, he's doing uh, he's doing stuff like Ted Williams and most more recently like Tony Gwynn and Wade Boggs. Well, you haven't really seen a player like Luis Arise playing the game like how he plays since uh, the 1990s, 1980s when Wade Boggs and Tony Gwynn were active. Uh, Luis Sarai is currently hitting 398. So, yeah, two-hit day for him if he goes – even if, if a walk would boost him even more, if he could go uh, two for three or two for four or even uh, three for five, something like that, he could get back over the 400 mark tonight. It's just incredible what he's doing. And this is kind of a follow-up question. How do you think Luis Sarai compares – You know, I think the expectations are that he at least hits 370 by the end of the season. The projections are 362. But how do you think he compares to Ronald Acuna Jr., who isn't hitting uh, as much as Arise in terms of getting on base? You know, Arise obviously hits way more singles. He has a better batting average, but Acuna has a lot more power, and he has better speed. Some people even say better fielding, but he's not even that elite at fielding. I think he's an overrated right fielder, and Arise has been overperforming possibly at second base. So how do you think Arise compares to Ronald Acuna Jr. in the MVP race?
1: Well, I'm glad you're not asking me, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. At least these two guys are in the same era. But um, it's it's kind of what does your team need, right? Does your team need home runs or does your team need hits? And a lot of hits, right? Obviously, Arise isn't going to hit that many home runs. He only has two on the season. Meanwhile, Acuna is a guy that can hit 40 home runs in a season and still 30 stolen bases around that mark. I'm going to be biased and say Arias. I think you have to value average because if you get on base, the next guy's up with the chance to score you, right? Acuna could be up with no one on base. That's just one run. Arias cannot just drive in runs, but Soler's on deck, and then Soler drives Arias in. It It is tough because, again, these two players are completely different. One's a power guy. One's a contact guy. And I I think that the ordeal here is that what does your team need? Does your team need a hitter that can help the rest of you guys out or a guy that will help himself out? I feel like a rise is more of a
0: team player. Is that safe to say? I'd agree with that. I mean, especially when you have Jorge Soler batting right behind you, it's pretty yeah. easy to say that he is more of a team player.
1: Exactly. So, That's a very good question, though. I I, want to see what Craig Mish or any of the other experts say about that one. It's obviously a heated one because we know Marlins and Braves fans will always disagree about Ronald Acuna. But what it comes down to, both are amazing players. Both are going to be in the MVP discussions. But I think when you have someone hitting close to 400, you have to choose them. You have to.
0: Yeah, and my next question is regarding the catching position. A Very Mm -hmm. interesting. and annoying position kind of for the Marlins fans because obviously you have Nick Fortes who I don't think he's going anywhere obviously he's not he's been a pretty good fielder he's been good in terms of uh blocking balls not letting it get to the backstop he's been really good at that his framing is pretty good as well if you look at some savant stats so he's good at blocking and he's good at framing uh he's not elite at throwing out runners but he's better than stalling So he's been very serviceable is what I would say behind the plate and he's been all right for for a catcher. If you look at the average uh, offensive numbers for catchers, he's been kind of league average, which if you're a Marlins fan, you'll take it. But meanwhile, Jacob Stallings has been awful. And you have this situation where Stallings was Sandy's uh, personal catcher for the entire season last year. He led Sandy to Cy Young. He caught every single inning of Sandy's outings in that Cy Young season. And now when Sandy's struggling, Stallings' only value was having a great relationship and helping Sandy be good. But when Sandy isn't good, you really have no case for Stallings to be on this team, especially when he's hitting well below 200. He can't really throw out any runners. He has zero speed other than compared to Fortes, who has above-average speed, actually. I believe he's in, like, the 60th percentile for uh, sprint speed, according to Savant, while Stallings is in the second percentile. So what do you think the Marlins will do with Stallings? You know, do they dfa him after trading for a catcher at the deadline because he has no trade value you can't really put him in the package he's terrible and then just what you what do you do with him
1: it, it it's a very tough question to answer i remember the day the marlin signed jacob stallings we all said he's a top 10 catcher in baseball he's arguably the de- best defensive player in baseball he just won a gold glove and then you think to yourself, wow, Nick Fortes is a better defensive catcher. I'm not surprised that Nick Fortes is a better offensive catcher, but defense, that's really the reason we signed Jacob Stallings, right, Ryan? Because we knew Jacob, yeah. Jacob's offense was very shaky. And when I say very shaky, I mean very shaky. But his defensive value meant so much to a Marlins team that valued pitching. But now you see that the Marlins are – an offensive team and yeah if Sandy is fine with Nick Fortez there's really no reason to keep Jacob Stallings around and when it comes down to this the Marlins and this is with really any team because of the pitch clock Sandy I think one of the reasons Sandy is struggling is the pitch clock right
0: yeah I, I would think- say it's I would say the two main reasons would be the pitch clock because uh, he does have a slower motion. And also, of course, the shift restrictions, which is a whole other thing to talk about because he's a ground ball pitcher and he's gotten a little unlucky with the placement of the ground balls that he's allowed.
1: Yeah, so with with those two factors, Stallings or Fortez or any catcher can't solve that issue, right? So it doesn't become a catcher issue. It, It becomes a producing issue. And there's evidence Evidence, beyond evidence, that Stallings does not produce. Zero home runs, fine. You don't have to hit home runs, but you don't get on base. There's really no reason to keep Stallings around. Look, I really trust Kim Aang. I think a lot of Marlins fans, I I always trusted Kim Aang. But some Marlins fans didn't, and it's because ever since she came, well, the Marlins just didn't produce, and they had good players, right? Who would have thought that if Sandy has an ERA well over four, and Marlins pitching is struggling. The Marlins would do better than last year when the pitching was amazing. I really trust Kim And I think she'll do what she thinks is best at the trade deadline. What I think is best, passing on Jacob Stallings. But if you're not going to replace Stallings with an elite catcher, which is not going to happen, that's fine. You just need someone that's going to get hit. You know what I mean? I- I've heard the name Ian Gomes a few
0: times. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting to see what the Marlins are going to do uh, with Jacob Stallings because he's just been struggling so much. And, uh, again, anyone that you could take, I think you could get an upgrade from compared to Jacob Stallings. And it will probably be a backup catcher. I don't think they're going to get some – big name around here. I think they're just going to get someone who can maybe hit 200 and provide better defense, can throw out more runners and stallings. Maybe it, like just a minor upgrade, because that's all they really need. Yeah. And they're going to also, I think next Sandy start, now that Sandy's really been struggling even more as ERA, just went up after giving up five earned runs even though it was all in one inning, and then he settled in. I think next Sandy start, you have Nick Fortes catch Sandy Alcantara, because he's going to get need to get used to Nick Fortes unless Sandy wants to uh, start really, really fresh and use someone that he's never worked with before most likely and uh, make the guy that they trade for his personal catcher but I think you definitely need to let Sandy uh, have Nick Fortes catch him in games. I don't think Nick Fortes has ever even caught Sandy in a regular season game, maybe in spring training and during bullpen sessions but uh, again, that's what the Marlins need to do. That's probably my biggest concern right now and the thing that I want the most. Anyways, we're going to move on from the catching position and now talk about Some outfield, center field stuff. And uh, the big question right now is how long is Jonathan Davis going to last on this Marlins team? Because he has not been bad. Everyone, kind of all the media, all the fans, they all treated it as a joke when Jonathan Davis was traded for and then immediately brought up to the roster after people thought he would just be a triple A depth guy to start off. And he's been on the major league roster ever since. And he's been getting a ton of playing time, more playing time than Garrett Hampson, who had been on the roster for uh, significantly longer, a few weeks uh, before Davis joined the team. And Davis has provided good defense, good speed, even though he's only uh, stole one base. And he hasn't been hitting terribly he has a batting average uh, above 250, actually. Again, he doesn't really provide any power, only one home run. That was in his, uh, I believe his second game as a Marlin, but his first start. But he's, he's been uh, serviceable due to his value in center field because he's really the only true center fielder that is, uh, has some major league talent for the Marlins. What do you think about Jonathan Davis and what do you do with him when Josh Chisholm is scheduled to come off the IL, which is in about a week from now because he's on rehab right now with the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp?
1: You know, my. My take would be move Jazz to shortstop, but we know what the Marlins think of that, and we know the Marlins are going to keep him in center field. So with Jazz in center field, that really leaves Brian De La Cruz, Sue Sanchez, and then another question you just said when Jazz comes back, when Aviso Garcia comes back, we know what we think of Aviso Garcia. We don't have to talk about it, but the Marlins obviously are not just going to get rid of him. We know that, especially with his contract. So Jonathan Davis... The Marlins have had some record with him in the lineup and it's not really because of Jonathan Davis. It just happens to be that way, but Davis is hitting 275 and it's not like he's only played in five games. He's played in, let me get the number right here, 23 games, right? Yeah. So that is a good sample size, a very good sample size. And he has one home run and that impresses me because he's not a power guy at all. Obviously what, the Marlins have to consider is who do they prefer? Garrett Hampson or Jonathan Davis, right? You're going to keep one of those guys when Jazz comes back. And Garrett Hampson's a guy that can play more spots in the field. But looking at it, I think with Davis' a small sample size, I don't think it will hurt to send him back down to the minor leagues, right? It's not like he's going to change the, the Marlins from a, win, a winning team to a losing team. And it, it, it is hard. But with Jonathan Davis, though, he's getting hits and he's getting extra base hits, right?
0: Yeah, Garrett, he's, he's gotten
1: some. Garrett Hampson, who obviously hasn't played a lot recently, mainly because of Jonathan Davis, is not playing because I think the Marlins prefer Jonathan Davis. If that is true, the Marlins will truly decide who they want. And it's looking like they want Jonathan Davis right now, even though Garrett Hampson was really, really um, talented at the beginning of the season. Again, it's uh, with this Marlins team, I don't think they could look at stats and just pick a player. I think they really have to choose who they want because with the Marlins, a lot of these stats are way different, but it won't make a difference, right? Jacob Stallings, he's still going to catch for Sandy Alcantara, even though he's hitting way under Nick Fortes. Nick Fortes is hitting 250, and Jacob Stallings is hitting 165. So the Marlins won't always look at stats and make a decision. It's more of personal opinion. And with Jonathan Davis, it's way too early to tell. Do the Marlins like him, or do they not like him? He has been playing a lot, so I think Skip Shoemaker really likes him in the lineup.
0: Yeah, I think he does. And again, Davis would not provide a lot of value for some other teams, but for the Marlins, who have struggled to find a true center fielder that fits and sticks on this team for quite some time now, ever since Starling Marte in 2021, uh, he has a ton of value on this team, and I would hope that it works out. It's going to be tough, but I would definitely hope that it it works out that we can see Jonathan Davis on this team for the rest of the season if he continues to play like this and. Uh, not be an automatic out at the plate. That's really all he needs to do is he's been usually getting, he has, doesn't have a lot of multi-hit games. He just had his multi, his first multi-hit game since the course Field Series, which was uh, right when he got called up. But he has a lot of games where he just gets one hit, goes one for four, maybe with a walk. He's been walking a lot too. And that's all you really ask for for Jonathan Davis, if, if he can provide good speed and good defense out there in center field. Anyways, our final question of the day Before we wrap things up here on the podcast with uh, you, Isaac, thanks for coming on again to this show. And my final question here is, what are your expectations going forward to the Marlins? Do you truly believe in them right now as a playoff contender? Because a lot of people really don't want to say that this team is legit because of all the heartbreak in the past few seasons. And a lot of people thought this was their year for the past few years and uh it's been a roller coaster with the Marlins but now they're finally showing probably the most life in them that they have since like 2016 in probably this whole decade the past 10 15 years uh so how do you feel at the current moment with the Marlins nine game over 500
1: the Marlins are legit i i think you could question it but you can't deny it this is a team that is winning ball games, and they're winning without star pitching. Last year, they had star pitching, and they weren't winning. That brings me to this point. Imagine if the Marlins pitching is lights out. Combined with the Marlins hitting, this team can make it far in the playoffs. May I mention the bullpen? The Marlins, for the first time in many years, have an elite closer in A.J. Puck. Dylan Floro has been a good bridge man. Nardi has been a great bridge man. Yuri Perez, I think, if Sandy continues to struggle, could be the ace of this team. And I think if you get Trevor Rogers back, you have options. I think this team is not just legit because of the pitching and hitting, but because of Skip Shoemaker. In his first year as a manager, Skip has really made this team not just special, but seem legit. I don't care if they're not legit, but seeming legit is something the Marlins haven't seen since the COVID season, and, and that you put an asterisk, right? So Skip Shoemaker, I think, has really made the right decisions. You just mentioned Jonathan Davis. Him getting caught up was great. Garrett Hampson has worked out for his time. The Marlins are playing well. They are definitely playing over expectations, but I think the expectation should be now making the playoffs. And I think if the Marlins keep it up, they will make the playoffs. And I don't think it's that off the chart to say that Sandy Alcantara will get on track after the all-star break. And matter of fact, I think Braxton Garrett, every single outing, he gets way better. I think Braxton Garrett can be a very consistent, solid starting pitcher for this Marlins team. I think if the Marlins stay healthy, they will absolutely make the playoffs They've shown that they are not scared of competing. And look, A.J. Puck will win you games. The Marlins are known for blowing games. And right now this season, we haven't seen it happen a lot, if any. So expect the Marlins to dominate. Expect them to compete in October. October. The only thing we need is stay healthy.
0: Yeah, I think the two biggest worries would be uh, not staying – well, pretty much the one biggest worry and the only main worry would be not staying healthy because it's so important for our guys to not get injured when we're going to be down the stretch in the dog days of summer where the fatigue really gets to you and you're going to hope that they don't get the injury bug too badly when they're going to have to play some good teams because their second-half schedule gets a lot harder. You have two series against the Dodgers. In August and September, you have to play the Yankees, the Astros, all those types of teams uh, towards the end of the season. I know those teams have underperformed, but they're still capable of getting hot at any time. And you're also going to have to play all your NL East rivals who are also capable with all the talent and money spent on their roster. of They're still capable of getting hot at any time. The Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, you're going to have to win those series at the end of the season if you want to be a playoff team you're going to have to not get injured. I think that's literally all it comes down to because right now, right now the Marlins are performing like a playoff team. It just matters how they're going to play. And if they're going to stay healthy uh, in the final two months of the season.
1: And and besides the nationals, we haven't seen the NL East in a while. You know what I mean? So the Marlins are going to have to get ready to face the Mets like they usually do in the Phillies. And look, I don't know if, if Skip Schubaker was the reason, but, Jorge Soler, amazing this season. And the find of Yuli Gurriel, who I credit to Kim Aang, Yuli Gurriel has been amazing defensively and offensively. If Aviso Garcia stays injured or, let's say, he's in the minor leagues, I think you have to keep Yuli Gurriel at first base and put Garrett Cooper at DH. I think all of these Marlins moves have worked. I don't think, besides Aviso Garcia, you can name one piece in the lineup maybe you could argue Sandy Alcantara, but I think he's going to get back on track. That is detrimental to this team's success. I, I think I think all of these players are just dominant, and I think besides Alvarez Garcia, the Marlins have all of the pieces they need. Obviously, I would like to see them get some improved players at the trade deadline, but if they don't, I'm actually not going to be concerned. I really won't.
0: Yeah, and I think we covered pretty much everything we have. Today, for the ninth episode of the Marlins HQ podcast. Thank you again to Isaac for joining me on this show. You can go follow him on Twitter at Isaac Edelman and also check out his website as well, flteams.com. And you can go check out me at Marlins Ryan. Make sure you go follow me on Twitter if you're not already, although I would assume most of the listeners are already following me on Twitter. And go check out my Substack, Ryan's Schlesinger, on Substack. That's going to do it. I will see you guys in the tenth episode of the Marlins HQ podcast. We're one away from double digits and let's go Marlins four game series starting tonight. It's winning time.